Talkers. Welcome to No Prize from God, episode 24. No Prize from God features conversations with creative people about belief, unbelief, and everything between. I'm your host, Ryan J. Downing, and my guest this episode is Spencer Chamberlain, frontman of the band Under Oath. I've had the pleasure of knowing the Under Oath guys since the late 90s. I think I first was introduced to Spencer probably around 2003. This was a really fantastic, insightful, and frank conversation. Towards the end, you'll hear us mention uh, one of the interviews I did with him over the years, back when he was doing the band Sleepwave. That was conducted on Sleepwave's bandwagon tour vehicle parked behind the Hollywood Palladium while they were on tour. And uh, while I was unaware at the time, I believe it was a pretty dark period in terms of Spencer's personal evolution and uh, struggles with addiction. He's in a much better place now, doing awesome, looks good, sounds good. And of course, if you're listening to this, you probably know that Under Oath has been back together for the last couple of years, putting out new records. And at some point, not long after we recorded this episode, did a live stream performance, which was pretty successful also. I would also recommend after you listen to this episode, if you enjoyed it, head over to YouTube, go to the NotFest YouTube channel and watch the premiere episode of The Disc Dive, a new video interview series that I have with NotFest. Spencer and I talked about his entire discography, going all the way back to his pre-Under Oath band, as well as all of the Under Oath records that he appears on and the record he did with Sleepwave. It's very cool, and it touches on some of the things that we talk about in this No Prize From God episode, although nowhere near as in-depth when it comes to his personal beliefs and views and that sort of stuff that we talk about here. If you're an Under Oath fan, you can also check out an earlier episode featuring his bandmate, Tim McTagg, and check out past episodes with Eric July of Backwards, Ryan Clark of Demon Hunter, who's been on the show twice, Nurgle of Behemoth, and many, many more. One more thing I'd like to tell you about before we get into this episode, head over to Spotify and check out No Prize From God playlist for the podcast. These are songs of inspiration, desperation, and faith from No Prize From God guests, and a diverse range of tracks that deal with the podcast's various themes. As Bono once said in a 2005 Rolling Stone interview, the music that really turns me on is either running toward God or away from God. Both recognize the pivot that God is at the center of the jaunt. The playlist at the moment, which is always growing, has close to 200 songs uh, from a very eclectic assemblage of artists. So do check that out. And please, if you're listening in Apple Podcasts, Leave a five-star rating and write a nice little review. You can find No Prize From God at noprizefromgod.com, which is a brand new, fully fleshed out website. You can follow No Prize From God on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find me on Twitter at Ryan Downey and on Instagram at SuperheroHQ. So here it is, my conversation with Spencer Chamberlain. This is No Prize From God. Stay in your grave. I'm not a slave to us. 
concept of this podcast was that when you look every podcast platform, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, they have a religion and spirituality category. And when uh-huh. you look at that category, it's predominantly right-wing evangelical Christians, prosperity gospel and whatever, uh, militant atheists, you know, like the, the four horsemen of the atheist apocalypse types, like your Sam Harris's right. and whatnot, or new agey self-help stuff. And I was looking at it thinking, where's a podcast for everyone else? Like, I don't fall into any of those categories. Um, I, there's things that I can listen to from each of those categories and maybe get something from, but for the most part, that stuff doesn't really speak to me. And moreover, I was thinking about how in my life, I've encountered so many creative people who have such interesting takes on that stuff and have had such diverse experiences with it. So my concept was conversations with creative people about belief, unbelief, and everything between. How does the pursuit of life's big questions affect art, you know? Going back to your earliest background and and encounter with that stuff, what was presented to you as a kid in terms of the the framework that you grew up in and and how these kind of questions, life, death, what does it all mean? Um, how was right. that presented to you early on? Well, I, I'm originally from North Carolina. So, you know, it's it's the Southern, it, I don't know if North Carolina is considered in the Bible Belt or not. I don't think it is, but, you know, it was, uh, everyone went to church, you know, I, and I don't think it, it was never really presented like it was later in my life. Like Christians, when I got older to me were like way more, like about like about that life i guess you know yeah yeah i grew up like it was like you went to church as a kid because your parents made you go and you went to sunday school and that kind of stuff you know um my my parents were you know they they installed the the morals of what loose basic christianity was um you know and we got in trouble if we cursed and stuff like that, but we were young, you know, and, um, but it, it it wasn't as spiritual as what I saw when I came to Florida that with the, the kids, especially the under earth guys and a lot of the bands in that movement that were like spending a lot of time, you know, talking to Jesus and stuff like that. Like that was wild for me to see. Cause to me, it was just like, yeah, I'm a Christian because I, that's what my family was, you know? Yeah. It wasn't like I really believed it or knew what I believed. Cause I don't think any of us do at that age. I don't think most of us do until way later in life. I completely um, agree. And, but yeah, I grew up in a, in a home to where we went to church on Sunday and me and my brother hated it. Cause you know, mm-hmm. it's like Sunday. You want to wake up early. You don't want to dress up. And that was like the things that you were more concerned about at that age is like, it's your weekend. You wake up early every day for school. You don't want to wake up for church and put on dress clothes. That you <laughs> yeah. Want to wear. And like, that was what it was more about at that young age. Um, and I never, you know, I, I don't think I really gave it much thought until a little bit later in my life. And I remember telling my mom one time in the car that I was like, 
what if I don't believe in any of this stuff? And she got so upset, you know, like mm -hmm. you're a little, I was probably 12. I was like, yeah, but what if I don't believe in God? You know, like she was pretty upset about that. Um, but we didn't have really deep spiritual conversations um, in our family. You know, there was just, we were brought up correctly. I, I would say as far as the morals go and, you know, both my parents before they were divorced and after they were, they were both great, you know, as far as teaching us how to be good people was concerned, you know? Um, but yeah, it wasn't a very, it wasn't super spiritual. Like you prayed before, you know, you said your prayer before you went to bed and before you ate and on Sunday school and stuff like that, but nothing, uh, nothing really seemed to me at least I, I mean but i was obviously i was the youngest so maybe i just didn't understand as much but it, it wasn't really a spiritual thing for me so very much a cultural thing and just something that was sort of yeah. just like you go to school five days a week and you celebrate thanksgiving and you know it's just part of your yeah you see most of the kids you go to school with at church on sunday and at sunday school you know that kind of stuff it was just where we lived and what people did i think and and I don't, I mean, I'm not saying that I'm bashing any of, the, any of the, maybe a lot of the parents were spiritual, but I think for a little kid, I don't think that I'm aware of that. I don't, I don't think you could comprehend what you're doing or like anything like that. I mean, it's, it's the biggest questions that humanity has struggled with since the dawn of time. Uh, how is, how is a child <laughs> going to grapple with things that, you know, learned intellectuals haven't solved? And I've even, I've even spoken about that to the band guys. Like we've been in the bus and you know how Underhill started as a Christian band and is no longer a Christian band. And I was like, you know, it parts of me look back. I mean, I know we did a lot of good things for a lot of people and including ourselves. It was like, but I look back a lot. It's like, who wants to listen to like some 23 year old kid, you know, talking about, what's right and what's wrong and like what you're supposed to believe in and sharing that we know we were never really that preachy but we did share what we did the band for and while we're on stage it became like part of our nightly thing on stage you know and i and i look back and i'm like if i was 30 and i saw some 20 year old kid on stage saying that i'd be like what a fucking dumbass like you don't know what you believe you don't know who you are really at that age or at least i didn't that's probably what fat mike for example <laughs> was thinking you know yeah yeah, yeah. Under, it, understandable even if if some people's attitude towards it was a little abusive or unfair i can you know and you could apply the same thing to i suppose any anything like yeah bands that have you know radical politics and and that sort anything. of yeah yeah, like, who? and I was always, I was in love with the, the mystery of rock and roll. I think we had, me and you have had this conversation before, but I remember not knowing what Tool looked like because they weren't in their music videos and they weren't in the layout and you'd have to like find a store that sold Circus Magazine to buy it to maybe get a live shot, you know, if you weren't old enough like me at the time to even go see them live. You know, I, it was always like a mystery thing. And like, if I were to put myself in my 12 year old, 11 year old shoes, 15 year old shoes, 16 to 18, whatever, would I 
give a shit what he believed in and what he worshiped now. No, I still don't. And I, I was, it was about the song and how it made me feel and the lyrics. And even if the lyrics were touching on something spiritual, it didn't matter to me what they were passionately believed in, in their spare time, you know? That's the whole thing too, about separating the art from the artist. And that even gets into the debate of, you know, do we watch a Roman Polanski movie? Do we, do we listen to a Burzum record? You know, when you get into this, that whole debate, right. About, well, if this, on the extreme end of things, if this art is being created by someone who believes something terrible or, or has done something terrible. And, and I fall much more in the, side of free expression is free expression and people who believe terrible things and have done terrible things are as entitled to create as anyone else and how those how those things make us and i'm looking at it from the extremist most furthest you know um how those things make us feel and how we interact with that art is up to the individual but i hate that idea that you can't uh, support this or that art because of one or more of the people yeah. behind it and who they are and what they believe, let yeah. alone, let alone when it comes into ideologies and, and actions that don't affect other people at all. Yeah. It, it shouldn't matter. It's like, you know, I don't care, you know, if you're vegan or not, you know, but if I am in something I believed in, which I'm not, but like, if I, if that is something I believed in and that's like, for me, I, I never saw, I, and I use that as a, as a term because I feel like it's like telling someone how to eat is, seems pretty ridiculous, right? Mm-hmm. Telling someone what to believe in is, is pretty wild. Sharing what you believe in because it affects you and you're passionate about it, I get that, you know? In an, in um, an environment where that's been invited, that's right. the other thing, you know? Yeah, and I think singing a song, you know, like I've said that too, like Kill Switch Engage probably has more Christian influence lyrics than under oath ever did which is when we got a lot of backlash for not being a christian band anymore i'm like go but go listen to the songs these songs are about my life struggle myself and aaron you know like the shit that we were going through most of it's about dealing with drugs or addictions or you know just hard times nothing we weren't really ever singing about god you know or anything religious and i thought that it was just like you know, and there's bands that do that and that's fine. And I think it's something you're passionate about. You sing about it, you know, but, and that, and that says something really interesting too, about the expectations of some of that portion of the audience in that they're fine with whatever the songs are actually about and trying to communicate and where the art's coming from, as long as they feel some certainty about what every member of that band believes in private. And it's like, yeah, what? It seems so, <laughs> it seems so insane. It's like, yeah. it, and I compared to that, it's like, it's like the, those, that reminds me of people that care or, or like, why would you care if a member is an atheist or a Satanist? It's like saying that you care that a member is gay or straight. You know what I mean? Like, why would that matter? Why would it matter if the guitar player is gay or not? in a band that you love for someone that does care about it's like it's equally saying it's like why so why was it matter that our bass player is an atheist you know you say you don't care about these things but you care about this that was always confusing to me as we were like branching out from that 
you know, um, I was like, that doesn't make sense because Grant, our bass player, was was the first one to be like, I'm an atheist, and I have been for I've been struggling telling you guys this for a long time. You know, like his sister was, he was, you know, and and that was one of the first things that was just like, it shouldn't matter. Why does it matter? Like that's what you believe in, and like you're okay with it. Like I'm okay with it. Like I don't need to tell you how to live. That's like me going you need to wear these clothes because these clothes are better than, than your clothes. And yeah. He goes, he goes, and these are the clothes we wear in this band. If you yeah, want to be in this band, you got to dress this way. It's like, but my clothes are better than your clothes. Why do you, why would you say that? Cause I think they're, they're better than yours or the price tag says that they're better than yours. But, but this guy goes, no, they're not. I like my clothes better than yours. You know what I'm saying? Like, so why does that is just like, such a dumb comparison, but like, I'm trying to make it as stupid as possible. Like, <laughs> I like chicken yeah. better than I like beef, but you like beef better than you like chicken. No, you're wrong. You're wrong. You know what I mean? Like, it's such a stupid thing to like, who cares? It's everyone has are, are entitled to liking and disliking what they want. It's like, like a band because you like the band, not because they're Christian or not, or Satanist or not, or you know, agnostic or not, it, it should, all that stuff to me doesn't matter. It's like, I've listened to music that music makes me feel something that I, it's hard for me to even describe. So why do I need to know what their dietary habits are or yeah. their sexual preference or their creed or lack thereof? You know, I don't fucking care. I like it. If, if I think the music is great, I think the music's great. But that also goes back to what you're saying is like, if someone in that band has done something terrible, you know, like we all know that lost profit story. Like I would never listen to them. Yeah. So there is a line somewhere for me. Yeah. I, I've never really thought about it until you, you just brought that up. Like, but something like that guy, you know, he's, first of all, he's in prison for what he did. And yeah. secondly, what he did was so heinous and was perpetrated on, uh, you know, innocent people. Yeah, I mean, I think it comes yeah. down to your personal. I yeah, I don't think feelings you, about interacting with it. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't personally listen to that band, but somebody that I wouldn't either. Yeah. That was their favorite band of all time, and it meant so much to them, and they love all the other dudes in the band. If they're still listening, like I, you know, I wouldn't necessarily take that away from them, but I did, but I can't, I wouldn't personally, and I think that's how it should be is for each person to be able to decide individually. You should be, you should how be they interact with it. Yeah, you should be able to decide. Like, I was never a fan of R. Kelly, and I watched that documentary, and mm-hmm. completely, you know, brutal, hard to watch, uh, just disturbing. And I get the people protesting, and like, you know, don't listen to it and taking it off iTunes and Spotify and all that stuff. But then there's people that want to still listen to it. Like, are they right or are they wrong? Like. You know? Michael Michael Jackson that you know there's a there's a there's a long like Chris Brown I know I know people who are good moral upright people that will listen to Chris Brown and if you crack a joke to them about it they're like ah oh, they kind of brush it like they know but they just love his music and I don't have that problem because I never cared about Chris Brown's music. yeah I never or yeah same uh and I, I was never never listened to Lost Prophets you know, I heard this song on like MTV two or whatever. And I never liked, it wasn't my, wasn't my scene, you know, and I didn't, wasn't an R Kelly fan or, you know, yeah. but like Michael Jackson comes on, I don't change it. I mean, that was, 
I remember that being a thing when I was born, you know, like that was like, uh, he was like the biggest pop star. Why are you yelling at me? <laughs> just want, just, just once voice cat voices heard. Where's the podcast for cats? I know. Right. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a weird one, but I don't, yeah, I guess we're getting really sidetracked, but yeah, I don't see why members religious beliefs would affect a listener you know um in such a way luckily for us it it really hasn't i know there was a lot of backlash but like we haven't seen any change in popularity you know and yeah in terms of the the metrics you can you can use to measure it's yeah you you haven't i mean i I, it's interesting how christian music is the only genre i think we've talked about this before it's the only genre that's defined by ideology you know, when you go, when you go into the record store, when we used to have record stores, you know, yeah. here's, here's jazz, here's metal, here's hip hop, here's Christian. It's yeah. like every one of those other genres is identified by the, the sound, the style, maybe the region, maybe the culture. And then Christian music is like, oh, this sounds like all sorts of different things. It's yeah, and I think defined by what never, the people who made it believe. <laughs> luckily, we never got really thrown in. No. The record stores I went into, we were never in that section and we were never considered Christian gospel or whatever that category is. And this brings up something important, I think, related to everything we're talking about. And this is, and tell me how you feel about this, because this has been my stance for the last few years. On the one hand, and most importantly, I don't feel that any band artist has a responsibility to disclose what they personally believe. There's no, there shouldn't be any sort of compulsion to get somebody to go on the record and say, well, I think this about this. However, on the other hand, I do believe that if an artist, if part of their platform in the beginning, right, and in terms of building their thing was we stand for this or we stand for that or we believe this, and those beliefs change, then I think there is a responsibility to communicate like, hey, we've evolved, we've changed, we don't, you know, we changed our minds about this or that, which is our right, but we kind of want everyone to know. And I think that there's a really unique case study with Under Oath because I think you're one of the few bands of note that's established to the level that you're established that's done that. And I think it's very commendable and brave knowing that there are other bands right alongside you, right in the same genre that travel in the same circles. And I, I don't want to out anybody or place any value judgments, but bands that I know where their audiences think of them as a certain way and the people in the band don't feel that way anymore and yet haven't publicly come out and said, hey, we don't, we don't believe the way you think we believe. And I, I liken it to the example I always use is if Rage Against the Machine suddenly became like MAGA, Trump, people behind the scenes like that would be their right but i feel like before they go on the reunion tour they should make some sort of announcement that's like hey we're all right-wing republicans now because they know that part of their platform was what they believed and that some portion of their audience you know is is along for the ride because of that so i'm curious for your thoughts on all of that And and again i mean everybody's free to approach things the way that they want but I remember, you know, when 
the as I lay dying thing went down, that was a conversation that I had with Tim directly. So I was like, Hey, you don't, none of you owe it to the world to tell people how you believe, except for the fact that you made it an issue in the first place. <laughs> that's, you know yeah. what I mean? Like that's kind of on you then to then say, Hey, I changed my mind. I think under oath was a weird anomaly because I think we were very much struggling in the public eye. If that makes any sense. I think it, it does. was very, it, I think it was very unfortunate for me at the time, but in hindsight, maybe a good thing like overall, because it, it helped all of this is like, people knew that I was struggling with drugs and with the band and Aaron was at a rift with the band. And we were like, we broke up so many times and got back to get like, we were falling apart all the time. And I think, I think maybe our fans were just so we had a great relationship and we still do with, with, you know, we were always meeting those people and we'd have real conversations. And I think people knew that we were having a hard time like withholding this label that we had and i think that people knew that we weren't perfect or and we weren't pretending to be um i think we shared what we believed in at one point as a band and then it probably went on longer than we should have sharing it um but we never force fed anything and we never really sang about anything so i think it was just a weird anomaly that we kind of fell apart our fans watched us like go through all these growing pains. Like we fell apart and got back together, picked up the pieces and dust ourselves off a couple times before completely, you know, falling apart and saying, we're never going to do it again to forgiving each other and getting back together. It was like a bad reality show. You know, it's like, like it was full of drama and stuff that I wish people didn't know or see from us. And it, kind of feels gross at times but like i think everyone kind of saw it you know and, and i think and i think that that was a um unbeknownst to you at the time as you're living it a great teaching and living by example moment in that uh, undoubtedly a significant portion of your audience was struggling in the same way i mean that that's life you know whether it was with their personal convictions or whether it was with people around them or, or feeling difficulty in relating to the people in their group where maybe they all used to feel a certain way and so now some of them feel differently and how do you address that and 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 of course um addiction addiction affects everyone all walks of life regardless of belief so i i think that yeah as painful as it was and as embarrassing as it can be you know to be so exposed in that you know, Metallica, some kind of monster sort of way. Yeah. It, it yeah. also, it, it, it's, it's part of what makes people cling to you and the music you make is they feel like they know you and it's, and they feel like you're right. real, you know? And, and I do know that we did lose some fans to it. Like some super, you know, conservative Christian people that listened to us just because we were a Christian band. But I think most people, as we were touring it, it was a shock when they found out or they heard me say something from stage, like, something like that. Like, I think most people are like, Oh, you know, I don't think we had like a, pre a predominantly Christian audience. I don't think so either. I think, we, 
I think we had a very secular audience, mixed audience, uh, as it should be. It's art, it's music, it's for everyone. I, and I was, and I always felt that way. Like, you know, when I met the, the guys, I was like, I love music first before anything. I care about music first. And those guys were like, well, I care about, you know, at the time they were very much the, the opposite. They're like, well, we're close, but you know, we switch. Yeah. We, we care about the message first and Jesus first and then the music. And I was like, well, I've been doing this since I was like a baby, you know, like this is my life before I even knew what I believed in. And then, and, you know, and then at that younger age, you know, late teens, early twenties, you think you know what you believe in, but you know, that changes to, you know, obviously it changed for all of us. And I think, you know, we, we just happen to be in the public eye going through those changes. Um, and I think that's what, why like the real Underoath fans stuck by our side and, most people didn't care 100 percent. and regardless of what those fans believe and i also would say that there i mean there's all sorts of segments of the audience and i think one segment is also those that are kind of like you know and and for people listening spencer and i are talking about ourselves we're not saying oh people that are like that we were people yes. in our early 20s going around acting like we knew what was what about everything exactly. and i think you know a lot of your audience probably went through those same transitions and have stuck with you because they see themselves in it too or maybe they were 15 yeah. 16 listening to under oath for the first time and thinking they knew everything and then as and then we're evolving along with the band you know and then that they, they feel a, a sense of belonging and connectedness that persists and i also think for me personally uh, the best art comes from intention and authenticity so yeah. If I were to only to listen to music or watch movies or read books or comic books or whatever that were made by people that believe exactly what I believe spiritually, politically, all across the line, I wouldn't be able to listen to anything. Yeah. <laughs> I'd have Same. to make solo records and just listen to them and not. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I just, just personally, like, even when I thought I knew everything and under oath thought we knew everything, like, it's funny that I didn't care about like when I was listening to a band what they believed in even though we felt like we needed to say what we believed in and share um it, you know I I didn't care what others believed in which is weird like I I listened to everything like it, it didn't matter to me I wasn't going to change my musical taste because I had found you know I had found Jesus or whatever you know I didn't like go throw out my nine inch nails records. It's been my favorite, one of my favorite bands since I was a little kid or tool or, you know, and a lot of, and a lot of the folks who did that then find themselves tracking all those records down a few years later, even if they're still a devout Christian, they go, Oh yeah. Yeah. I was, I was maybe a little too uptight. I can listen to those records. I wish I hadn't thrown those away. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It, it was, it, it was definitely a weird time when I look back on it, but I'm like, I know what we were trying to do is, is, kind of maybe be more of a light in a dark situation because i think what was happening around us there's a lot of just bad shit you know like and i think even the stuff that i was going through i was it was nice to share something positive because i feel like all of our songs i i mean a lot of our songs are pretty dark you know and they're pretty brutal as far as the lyrical content is a lot of it's pretty sad, depressing stuff. It was nice to share something 
a little bit uplifting, I think, mm-hmm. on stage. Even as I was getting out of, maybe I don't believe this or maybe I do. There was things that I always struggled with. You know, like I said, like when I moved to Florida and saw these people like living for Jesus so devoutly and like sitting in circles and praying together and speaking about how they, you know, their relationships with God. I'm like, this is weird. That was my very next question. Yeah, because I didn't grow up in that same sort of, uh, I guess you would call it non-denominational, evangelical sort of framework. I mean, I, my family's Catholic on my dad's side, but he's, he hasn't been really much of a practicing Catholic for any point in my life. And then Presbyterian on my mom's side. And neither of those faith traditions had a lot of the things that we would associate with the predominant kind of Christian culture now and the Christian culture as it was existed in that tooth and nail face down records scene of, you know, the late nineties and early two thousands. So, you know, I found myself in a lot of situations, probably similar to you where I would be with a group of people and I'd be like, yeah, we essentially believe the same things on paper, but man, this feels weird. Some of this stuff that's (laughs) people are doing like, you know, I, I had lived some before I like decided that I was going to dive deeper into that spiritual side of my life. And I was, and, you know, I think I was just trying to figure out who I was and, you know, a lot of that stuff for, sorry, I just don't know if you can hear that or not. My dog is freaking out. I don't know if, um, it's it's that confusing for everyone, but I, I felt like in my 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 late teens, early twenties, it was just confusing, like trying to figure out who you were. You know, like I always wrote songs since I was like eleven or twelve years old. Like I would write songs faster than I would like learn someone else's songs. I always had ideas and hummed this stuff and just made up words and lyrics and stuff that didn't really mean. You know, just being a kid and playing in my room and whatever. But like figuring out who you are and what you believed in and everyone around me and like these other bands on tooth and nail and stuff. I'm just like, these dudes are like really passionate and know are very sure. And I felt myself like I'd never done like these Bible studies where a bunch of 20 year old men, like, you know, are sitting around talking about this stuff together. Like this seems weird, but like I was open to it, you know, and I wanted yeah. to learn more and I was, and I liked that the dudes around me were positive because I felt like I did leave home at such a young age. I'm on tour and I'm no longer around my older brother or my older stepbrothers and, you know, like people that kept me accountable. Like I didn't really know where I would teeter in as far as real life went, you know, like I think it's pretty scary, you know, not going to college and you get in a van with a bunch of dudes and you're on tour with a bunch of older guys and people are drinking and, you know, doing shit that they maybe should or shouldn't be doing or depending on how you view it. And at the time and, uh, it was just like it was nice to be around people that were I think that was my my biggest attraction to what we were doing is that it was nice to be around people that were like I felt like not looking out to take advantage of you or hurt you or anything they were you know looking out for the greater good of like all of us like we should lift each other up and be there for each other even though they really weren't in my opinion but at first it seemed very uh it was it was very uh attractive to me you know like yeah being around a bunch of dudes that like want to be better people and want to you know you know we're not we're not out here like 
fucking each other over and kicking each other's asses and stealing, you know, like, yeah, it, it, it didn't seem like scary or violent. It felt like it felt safe, I think. And that was like, a, that was attractive to me at that young age. And, you know, my first band I've been in without, well, I was in a couple bands without my older brother, but they were with like my little schoolmates at the time, you know, like, mm-hmm. yeah. First band I've been in with some other adults. Some guys are older than me, you know, and, uh, I didn't grow up with these guys. I don't really know. We didn't go to school together and I'm out here on the road and I'm traveling all over the country in a van. And it was nice to feel safe, you know, that we were all kind of looking out to, to be better people, you know? Yeah. Much different than if you had like joined the sex pistols in 1978, Yeah, like thrown into total chaos. Yeah. Even some of the kids, you know, like I grew up around and like some, you know, kids that end up getting arrested or, you know, stealing a car or, you know, like selling drugs or whatever. Like there is, it was nice being like, well, I didn't go to college and I chose to do this, but I'm like in an, I'm in an environment to where the idea that it was, it was a Christian band. And that's where I, that's what I believed in too. And these guys are way more involved in it than I am. And I can learn something from them and it'll be a positive thing and i can focus on the music because there's not all this other shit going on like the merch guy isn't going to steal something from my backpack and like you know there's not a fight going on even though there were fights in the crowd but there's not like you know just weird yeah everybody's not trying to pass out backstage passes to all the prettiest girls in the audience for yeah yeah that never happened you know like even when we were on tour with bands that you heard those stories about like you know, we never saw that shit really happen. So it was like, we did secular tours and it was always chill because I think people are like, yeah, we respect this band. They make good music, but they're Christian, you know, so. We don't want to get too rowdy in front of them. <laughs> maybe, or maybe yeah. I I we always told people to just be themselves. And I don't, I don't think people really held back around us, but it just felt like we did grow up in, you know, the first couple of years were a pretty safe environment and like, productive and uh it, my memories are pretty happy from that time that's awesome yeah. now at what point did you start to feel and, and i don't want to speak for you but my, my my impression was that as someone whose views on this stuff was much more personal and, and as a quiet sort of faithful so to speak being the front man for a band you know the person who's not wearing an instrument who's right out there who's you know speaking and screaming the words at what point did you kind of start to feel this pressure of people were looking to you as some sort of minister or faith leader or that they that they needed something from you that you weren't comfortable or prepared to give i think that i don't think i ever really felt that a hundred percent i think i felt like I always felt, you know, being in a band, um, I felt like it was my job to share how I felt, you know, not necessarily, I, like, I didn't, even when we were like in the very first stage of like, we're a Christian band and we're like, you know, speed, make sure you say something about it. And I was like, yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, I love telling people what, what we believe, what we believe in, but we never forced anything. We never preached. I never did. Um, and I just felt like it was my job to share like 
I felt like a lot of people were like me. Like you grew up and you were kind of like the oddball, you know, and got picked on or whatever for being different. And, and music was always a thing that I really related to. And most of my friends didn't relate to the same music that I did. And I found it very frustrating. So I was like, I need to make sure I'm supplying those kind of feelings and lyrics for kids like me that felt that feel this way, that alienate, you know, they're alienated and they don't feel like they belong. And they, you know, I wanted to make people feel like they weren't alone. You know, that was always my goal. Cause that's how I felt listening to the bands that I did growing up. You know, it made me, it, it did give me a lot of hope when I was you know, growing up in North Carolina where shit was weird sometimes, you know, like definitely was the only kid that listened to and looked like I did in my school most of the time, you know? Um, and I think that's more what I was thinking about. I never really felt this like, Oh, I need to preach. Cause I don't preach, you know, like, um, you know, and I just was like, they, the kids would talk to Chris a lot, you know, behind the van or he was the guy that was always like trying to pray with people and stuff. I never did that. I would just kind of walk away and kids would ask. And I was like, Oh, you don't, you know, want me to do that. But we can talk about like your, your real life. You know, I'd say that a lot. And I, and I didn't know if that was the wrong thing to say, but I would always be like, yeah, well, we can talk about what's, what's like, what's going on. You yeah. What's know? going on at school? What's up with your parents? What, how's your, yeah. how's your boyfriend, but, girlfriend? You know, but yeah. if you want someone to like preach Bible verses or pray for you, like, like those dudes are over there. And that helps and that, that, that you had that many people in your band too, that you could say yeah, that guy, that did. guy, and, that guy. Yeah. And everyone was pretty approachable for the most part, you know? Um, but like, yeah, I would talk to kids about other things, you know? And I think as that went on, the longer it went on it. And I just, um, I felt the Christian, the Christian weight I felt the most was the band not being able to tell the guys that, I was struggling with certain things because mm -hmm. my fear was they'll kick me out and this is my life and I've dedicated, I've worked so hard. You know, these are my songs. This is my life. These are my stories, you know, and like, this is all I care about. And they did, you know, I, the, the minute they found out that I was struggling with something, they did kick me out. You know, that was the famous 2006 warp tour, like Undrose leaving. It's all fat Mike's fault. It wasn't the, it was, not Christian to use drugs. So I was out of the band, you know, and that's what I fear. And that's why, you know, it was very, and that was probably my, my biggest turning point in the religion, calling myself a Christian, no matter what I believed in, I was like, humans are wrong. You know, like that's not how you handle it. Even though what I was doing was wrong. What they did was equally wrong just because you're not doing the drug, but alienating someone and giving them the boot and it reminds me of this saying about how uh the church is the only hospital that turns away sick people yeah <laughs> i mean that you're having problems you know, you're out of here wait a minute <laughs> what I, yeah i was you know i was struggling and dealing with a lot i mean the band was changing we you know we were blowing up and you know i i was alone these guys were getting married and i was kind of dabbling in drugs and hanging out with other people maybe I shouldn't be hanging out with and having a good time and and then I realized it was like oh I probably shouldn't be doing this and I started talking to our A&R and he was uh the dude that flew out and just told everybody and I was like oh you're like the spiritual leader of this band apparently you know you're like in your 40s and I'm like yo I, I might need some help I'm struggling and this dude comes out and just 
intervention, you know, your singer's doing this. And like, I, it, I just thought he wanted me gone. I was like, oh, that's, this is not a Christian I'm, thing at all. Like, I'm actually glad you brought that up because that was something I, I really wanted to actually to get into if, if it came up organically, which it just did, which is that, you know, there are a lot of misconceptions about how the Christian music industry works and particularly as it relates to subculture. For the most part, just for people who are outside of the Christian bubble to understand, people that work at labels like Tooth and Nail and so on and so forth, they're just people. And, you know, and predominantly Christian and so on and whatever. However, with that being said, there was, especially at that time, a lot of rules that were very surface level about what bands could or couldn't do, whether it's, you know, using profanity in their songs or on stage or, you know, I remember once upon a time when uh, the Zeo Liberate record came out, Christian bookstores returned all of the CDs to the label and they had to destroy the booklets and make new ones because in one of the band photos, you could see a pinup girl tattoo on somebody's arm. And oh my God, I never heard that. Yeah. And that, and this is like, you know, I mean, it used to be extremely rigid in that sense. And it was always frustrating for me because behind the scenes, it was sort of an attitude almost that, and I'm sure you felt this and I don't want to go off on a tangent, but it's almost like everyone would have been fine with you continuing to use and party behind the scenes as long as nobody knew about it. It was almost more like it was the idea of it being out in the open was worse than the idea of it actually happening. Yeah. And and at this point too, I wasn't using shit on tour yet. Mm. I, it later became like at home on tour and in the studio, but I, what I never would use before I'd play. I took my, I took my job very seriously as you, I think the best way to, to prove that point is if you listen to Underhill's discography from chasing safety to erase me and hear the, how much my voice has progressed is because I love singing and being a front man and playing music. And I take it very seriously and you can hear it. The proof is in the, the records. Like, I practice every day. I warm up before I do anything, be at home or at practice before every show, before every studio, whatever. Like I've taken what I do very seriously. So I never let drugs like affect a live performance. Um, But at this point in the 2006 Warped Tour, for, for example, I wasn't using it on tour even after the shows. It became, it was later where I started using after the show because I'm like, oh, I'm done. Work clock you know like how someone opens a beer when they get home from work that was like like, yeah you know know, let loose for a little bit um but at this point so i went all of that warp tour without using drugs which is a long enough to pretty much you know get it out of your system (laughs) and the last two weeks get kicked out of the band for using drugs on warp tour (laughs) (laughs) you know it was uh it was because i was dealing with i was like struggling in my brain like I mean, I shouldn't be doing this and I know I shouldn't be doing this and I'm really enjoying it. And when I'm doing, it, I'm not thinking about it. But then the next day I'm like really conflicted and I feel like I have a problem or if I don't well, look out, this has become a really dangerous problem, which it did. And um, it's kind of a miracle that I survived that because what happened after, you know, like on the bus and going home, getting kicked out of the band for trying to talk to, you know, trying to like, to actually try to address it in some yeah. small steps. Well, I wasn't even ready to address it yet. That was that was the funny part is I had told 
one person and that person decided to come out and tell the band. Um, and that, oh, that was where I was going with that Christian industry tangent is there is an idea and I don't know how much it persists or where it persists, but in that particular moment, I remember uh, you're, you're an R person, you know, for people that don't understand an A&R person, you know, artisan repertoire, like we, we, when you hear the phrase A&R, you think mostly about people that go out into to shows and whatever and discover bands and offer them record deals. But that job actually gets a lot more intensive because it's, it's certainly discovering talent is a big part of it, but developing talent is the bigger part of it. Once the band is on the label, the A&R person is your conduit you know, your management, your band, that's primarily who you're talking to, who's then communicating all the different things that need to be delegated out to marketing and press and radio and whatever. And that person becomes, in a lot of cases, an advisor, a mentor, a a friend. And it gets really complicated and tricky in the Christian world because that person can sometimes, and particularly in Under Oath's case, in that moment, takes on this pastoral role. It's not just, here's the lead singer calling the A&R person to talk about this issue that could have an impact on the band. There's this, whether you invited it or not, it, it, it's also like you're, like you're a congregate calling your pastor. And that's, right. and, that not, and not to put a, a judgment on anybody in, in that situation, but that just seems like a recipe for disaster you know, with hindsight yeah. being 2020. Yeah. yeah I, it, I mean, obviously everything has worked out and I'm still here and clean and uh, the band is back together. And I feel like everything happens for a reason, but that, that was a really weird time. And I think it did, it did take me, it, it did really, sh- it was like my biggest fear is exactly what happened. I wasn't fearing of like overdose. I was fearing what they would think of me you know and it was like oh yeah you're out you know like get the fuck out of here kind of a thing uh how could you do this to us how could you do this you know Uh, and and, you know and and that was like i think that was the biggest fear and and like i think a lot of the using was because i just needed an escape i needed something that was mine and to you know i just it was just like something that i did on my own you know something that was just like i was like this is my time you know uh not making any excuses for it it's and it was and it wasn't a straight edge band that's another thing that gets tricky too right it's yeah i mean we christian culture is very picky and choosy about which substances are allowed and you know yeah now it's like i see the whiskey beer and jesus t-shirts and shit like that i was like oh <laughs> you're you're like you're like where was that in 2004? <laughs> yeah. I could have used that. <laughs> the funny thing is, we did. Some of us did drink. Um, if you were over 21, and when we turned 21, I mean, we kind of hit it a little bit on the 2004 Warped Tour. Uh, me and the tour manager and James, our guitar player, we definitely went out for like beers one time when the bus broke down, but we didn't drink reg all the time. Um, and then on, two, on the 2006 Warped Tour, we were like drinking around the other bands you know you would like walk through the parking lot of the bands we parked and everyone's out hanging out drinking like we would be out there doing that i don't know if everyone drank at the time maybe tim and chris didn't yet but i think everyone else did beards not beers bro yeah (laughs) and by the way i say this as a straight edge dude so i'm not you know 
knocking yeah. it in either direction. But yeah, it, it, and it's interesting now even watching Christian culture struggle with marijuana because if people are just doing the render unto Caesar what's allowable under the law, it's legal in so many places. And I know well, they're yeah. Christian. I know a lot of Christians are doing it. Not all of them are open about it. Some are open about it. It's interesting watching that change take place. And there's, and there's, um, there is health benefits to it. Like my girlfriend, for example, has some stomach problems and the state of Florida, um, has, they gave her a medical marijuana license, you know, and that, I, I mean, for some people, I, they see that as not cool or whatever, but it, but it helps her a lot, you know, and it's like, um, cause she, yeah, I, yeah, I, I don't, I, it's like, it's funny, like, um, medical marijuana could be, or legal marijuana, but it's okay to have a beer, you know, I, I don't, yeah, all that stuff doesn't concern me really anymore, I, I find it, funny but i also was like yeah but our band was that same way at that age too so maybe it's just it's growing pains of, of yeah it's trying to exercise some kind of control over and, and it's it's interesting too because i think a lot of the picking and choosing that happens a lot of the things that get turned into theology bad theology is really culture and like we were talking about at the very beginning about how well it's easy we don't have a dog in the fight about whether or not to listen to R. Kelly because we didn't anyway. And I think, yeah. I think that happens a lot with Christian culture where, oh, well, we'll, we'll ignore the thing in the Old Testament about mixing different kinds of fabric and what kind of shellfish you can eat. Um, but we're going to be really hung up on, you know, homosexuality or this or that or whatever. I think it's because it's a lot of people where they don't, they never listen to R. Kelly, so they don't care. You know, it's a cultural thing. They do wear mixed fabrics and want to eat shellfish, so they can, they can explain those away. That was a huge thing for me, too, is, is the longer we toured, like, I think the other things that were bothering me about Christianity before even the, the band, first, first time they kicked me out, um, before that, like, meeting other bands and, and them being like, oh, well, the the outsiders not understanding of Christianity was hard for me because I was a Christian, but I wasn't like fucking gung ho. I'm going to stand on the stage and preach to you. And, you know, and you weren't going to do apologetics when someone from another band was like, so do you believe in young earth? Do you believe yeah. in this and that? You're not the guy that's going to be like, whoa. So, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. It, it, well, and then meeting kids and, and touring kids that were bisexual or homosexual and then like, oh, well, you're that bit. You're not supposed to be my friend. And I just say, wait a minute. Like, I don't care about that kind of stuff. Why would you? Well, everyone thinks that you guys hate this. And I'm just like, that's I can't go down like that. You know, like I just couldn't be associated with even the thought of people thinking that we have any sort of uh like disagreements with how people live their lives as far as that that was concerned like sexuality and or a problem with who who they are you know yeah and so problem with what yeah. you believe in like i felt like man does do we really want everyone to believe what we believe is that that's not the goal here it never seemed like that was ever the goal i think it was just i think everyone on earth had good intentions like under earth we all had that 
we just wanted to share what we believed in because it helped us. And then as the, the, I think the band got bigger than we ever even dreamed in our wildest dreams. And then we're like, whoa, there's a lot that comes with the word Christian, you know, and, and good and bad and confusing. And it, it was just like, to me, it was just like, why, why do we need to put that word on it? You know, like, do we need to be, do, do we need to say like, <laughs> you know, like, I, I just don't understand it. I, I, I didn't get it. You know, um, I remember something uh, Jesse Smith said to me years ago. He was like, he was like, if I quit playing drums and became a plumber, would I be a Christian plumber? Would people, would yeah. people hire my plumbing business? Cause it's the Christian plumbing business and not just the plumber. You know? <laughs> and it, and some people would, and that's, that's the, the whole other sad fact on the other side of it. Well, and I, and I think this too, the biggest thing for me, which is the, half the reason why the band got back together after disambiguation, um, after like the big breakup, what we all thought was done for good, is I think being in a band is tough. It's like being married to five other dudes and then you got crew, you got team, you know, management and label. And, and usually it's not only like being married, it's like being married to your high school girlfriend. Yeah. You know, not like something that you chose for life to be associated yeah. and together. And expecting everyone to believe the same thing, going through life, dealing with marriages, kids, divorces, death, addictions, struggle, inner struggle, like you name it, depression, you know, you name it and then go, but we all have to believe the same thing before we get up on that stage. You know, it's just really unfair. Um, and I think that was one of the first conversations is just like when we were deciding not to be a Christian band is it was just like, as much as I don't care if the listener is vegan or straight edge or gay or straight or black or white or agnostic or, you know, Jewish, it doesn't matter if my bass player is either or my guitar player, or me, you know, like, it shouldn't matter. That's like, it just, it's, it, it, in, as far as our music goes, like, if we were a gospel band, that's different, you know, but we weren't, you know, I think there was one song that was ever directly, Jesus, we love you, and that was on Chasing Safety, and it was written by the singer of Copeland, you know, the guest vocal on it, like, that, he wrote most of that, you know, and, and that, was the probably the most religious song we ever had. And I was on our first record before we could even drink. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yeah. we were baby. And, you know, and I don't think it was wrong to write it. I'm just saying like, we weren't like a gospel band. It's not like, okay, we're going to get up on stage and sing about Jesus and how much we love him. And, but now yeah. we're going to say we don't believe in it. It was just like, no, we're going to get up there and sing about the life struggles that we've been singing about the whole time. I mean, go read the lyrics, you know? Yeah. And I think that's why, I guess, if you want to call it getting away with it by changing what, you know, we didn't go back on, we're not like deleting our catalog. We're not not playing those songs. You know, we even played that song, Some Seat Forgiveness, on the Rebirth Tour. You know? It, well, I mean, it's, it's, like, it's a time and place. It marks a chapter in your life. That's yeah. how art and music should be and people should you know especially when you think about like when you look at really big important artists in the scope of their catalog and you go like well you know um 
George Harrison was really into Krishna consciousness for a long time, you know, and uh, Bob Dylan had like his Christian phase and what, like, are we, are we going to discount all of that stuff, you know, or say that you shouldn't. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think that makes any sense. I, I did, I did want to ask you shifting gears in a sense and getting more into the fun part of it. Do you consider yourself, you know, we've talked a lot about music being the driving force in your life, the consistent thing, the, the thing that's, that's continues to drive you to create and, and a part of a big, such an important part of how you experience and, and see the world. Do you find that you draw a certain sense of spirituality or a certain connectedness or otherworldliness from music, from, from that creation process and that immersion and experiencing it? Is that, is that part of your life? Yeah, I think there's a spiritual side to, you know, writing lyrics and the big question of, you know, what is this and what is death and what are, you know, what are we and, how you know we uh, we talk about it all the time but i i wouldn't consider myself a christian by any means um i'm not practicing i'm not i don't believe in a lot of the things in the bible or the the stances that christians take and i and i was also dealt a pretty rough time with dealing with christians and being alienated by Christian human beings. Uh, do I think, do I hate Christianity? Absolutely not. Do I think people are wrong for believing in it? I don't. I feel like everyone is on a journey to figure out what works best for them and what they believe in. And I think there's times in your life where you think you haven't figured out. I think there's times in your life where you have a lot of doubt. And I'm not in a spot where I think I have a lot of doubt. I think that might've been 2006 and seven, like where I was really struggling and, and very confused. And now I, I've like accepted that. I don't think I'm meant to know for sure what is what. And I, I feel like there's a beauty in that. Like I live life mm-hmm. um, with an open mind and hopeful and, you know, I fantasize about what possibilities could be after, after life. And if there is any, and sometimes it scares me and sometimes it's fascinating. And, you know, I don't, but I don't live in this, like, I'm lost. I need to find Jesus again, or I'm living in doubt or or whatever. I just, I just don't agree with a lot of uh, the Christianity lifestyle. Um, And I guess, it's funny that hear me say, me myself say that because we, as we were talking about in the beginning, like growing up in North Carolina, it was just kind of like a cultural lifestyle that I saw, you know, like you, you went to church because I think you were supposed to do. I think my mom believed it the way that some of the North guys did when I met them. I don't think so. I think it was more like, Oh, if I don't go to church, so-and-so down the street says that she didn't see me there and something must be wrong. Or, you know, like I think that was a lot of, at least in the, in, back in back in that day in in North Carolina, you know, I think it was just something you were supposed to do. And then I did come into a point where I thought it was right for me, and I thought I knew what I was and knew what I wanted. And then I think it just—I don't think it's 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 wrong for everyone. I just don't think that it's definite. And and to me, I can't believe in something that I'm not. I I, I don't know. It's just not for me. 
you know, and I don't hate on it and I don't, there's things that I, you know, there's things about it that has taught me a lot and I don't bash it even though I was like treated pretty shitty by Christians around me. But I was, you know, it's like, I took it with a grain of salt. It was just what we were all going through and no one knew what the fuck they were doing. And I think that was the biggest thing for me is like, we all stood up, pretended like we knew what was best for everyone. And that is very gross to me. And and dangerous from any mindset, religious, political yeah, lifestyle. You know, you can share what works for you. But when you start getting the attitude that what works for you is the absolute and should be work and everyone who, who isn't where you are is simply lost or, you know, that, that concept. Like you're more enlightened than they are. Yeah. And that, that that was always something would just be like, (laughs) well, you know, the, a consistent thing that comes up on this podcast a lot, uh, I feel like it comes up from the guests. Maybe it's also me forcing it because it's where I'm at. Um, but I hear myself saying this a lot. I have found that my biggest obstacle for years was my pursuit of certainty and needing to be like this, this, this. And that isn't to say that I don't have core principles and, you know, you shouldn't murder, you shouldn't steal. And, you know, I believe oh, in, their, sure. in, in, a, in a higher power and I, you know, and I'm comfortable within the Christian tradition in so much as what I understand about it historically and certainly not how it's perceived today but what i've found the biggest turning point for me as an adult and more in recent years is embracing the uncertainty embracing the doubt embracing the skepticism the mystery the wonder almost bringing us full circle to like you were saying you didn't need to see what Maynard Keenan's eating for breakfast. If anything, that might take, a, take something away from the experience of listening to Tool. And, it, and it's the same thing where I'm, I'm approaching life's biggest questions from the standpoint of the doubt is exciting. The mystery is incredible. The not knowing, the knowing is in the not knowing, the certainty is in the uncertainty. And it sounds like a bunch of gobbledygook to people that are really attached to militant atheism or hardcore Christianity or Islam or what, you know, go down the list. But I think that in order, when I really started feeling like getting the answers is when I stopped asking the questions, if that makes sense. It's like, there's just so, or I don't know, maybe, maybe a better way to put it is the questions are the answers. Like, so I'm finding happiness and peace and contentment more in the margins and one of the things I really enjoy about doing this podcast is talking to so many people who have had such different experiences all over the spectrum and different understandings. You know, I had, I had Karen Crisis from a band called Gospel of the Witches on, and she considers herself a spiritual medium. She sees ghosts. She communicates with spirits and, you know, a bunch of stuff that's, you know, I don't hear it and go, yeah, that sounds right. But I listen to it and I engage and I, and I want to hear her experience. I want to hear what led her there. I want to know about her. And I don't sit here and go, what a crazy person or what a lost person or what I just, yeah, just another yeah, yeah. person, man. Like just, uh, you know, just interesting things to hear and engage in and, and to, and to live in the mystery and to try to, you know, and to approach it with my own anchor, I guess, but to 
always be open. And this is the hardest thing in my, in my life to always be open to new information and to taking that new information and, and being changed by it. And being open-minded about it. That's like the, yeah. that's, that's the beauty that I found in, in the last handful of years is like being open-minded to all these different possibilities and, uh, and, and yeah, like you were saying, like meeting different people that have these experiences and, and when they believe something that I don't not be like, what, what a lunatic, but also not be like, Oh, okay. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I'll that, like, and I'll, and I'll believe that too. It's just being open-minded and just, and there's like some sort of beauty in it and just like taking it all with an open mind, which is, it sounds easier than it is. I think, I think, a lot of people it's easy to pay lip service to yeah but it's a lot harder to live but like to actually listen and be like well this this person really has these experiences and says they have these experiences and believes they have these experiences and not think that they're crazy and not like oh i'm just gonna hop on the train and believe this now like to just take information and be like whoa okay so people experience different things like we are all so very different like what could possibly be going on in someone else's mind, heart, and how they feel spiritually is up to them in the life that they lead and where they got to where they are today. And they might be somewhere different tomorrow. And I think it, in the drop of a dime, something can change your life completely, drastically. You know, you might be talking five years from now and you might feel opposite to the way you do right now. And, I and think that's that- okay. That's not, I, I, we, we came from a scene where that's, that's selling out. That's compromising. That's being moved by the world. And that's garbage, man. That's like, what are we doing here if we're never changing, if we're stuck in the exact same spot forever? And I think that's why another reason why I don't call myself a Christian is because I'm completely open-minded to embracing life and trying to, you know, and like you said, you do have the core morals, like don't lie, cheat or steal and kill. And, you know, like that kind of stuff, like, that was installed in me as a kid. You know, I want to be a better person every day. I want to be better than I was yesterday. Not just better at singing and playing guitar and piano and, or just like a better dude. You know, like I want to like do more for myself and for my family and for my friends and for the world, you know, I want to, you know, and my role has been writing songs about depression and addiction and sharing my stories it's almost like getting naked in front of everyone and just like here i am you know like that's my that's my job you know as far as i'm i know right now like that's what i've been doing and even since the beginning of me being an under oath that's how it's always been is i'm just trying to be transparent with my my life and i don't expect everyone to relate to it and i don't expect you know that's why we're not the size of you two i think lyrically there's a group of people that relate to it and that's where unreal stands you know in the margins in the unknowing yeah Yeah. that's where that uh, and that that's the place where there are more of us in those margins than are willing to admit it you know there 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 are people hopefully there are people listening to this right now who are presenting a certain version of themselves uh, that isn't true to who they are. And if, if there's anything to take away from this conversation, embrace those contradictions and embrace that unknowing and trust in the people around you that if they're really meant to be around you, that they will embrace you for who you really are.
And if they throw you out, <laughs> you'll be fine. You know, like <laughs> right. and that's, that's, that's a scary thing. But I, I think, you know, looking back on my life is like, I could have taken that and, you know, jumped off a bridge or whatever. But like, I was like, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be fine. You know, for a lot of people, they would probably dive deeper down the spiral, but you don't have to do that. And I think, you know, um, Underworld has always been about that inner demon and the struggle, be it suicidal thoughts or depression or addiction or just bullshit in life, like, you know, divorce or whatever. You know, I, we write it out there because we live through it. You know, like we, that's, we just tell the truth of our lives, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's the same for everyone, but we're hoping that hopefully someone can feel not alone and be okay to, to, to face those feelings. And like, cause the longer you bottle it up and the longer you like run from it, the more dangerous it becomes, you know, uh, which is why we have a lot of mental health problems in our country. Cause it's, there's something, there's some stigma about talking about it that makes people feel lesser than, but I, I don't think anyone should ever feel lesser than for dealing with a depressive thought or a suicidal thought or dealing with addictions and stuff that, you know, everyone, most people are hiding that. And I think the more we learn to speak with each other about it and share our true feelings and where we're actually coming from, not where you're supposed to be. You know, that was another thing with under oath is I was supposed to be this certain way and it wasn't, I was clearly hiding it behind closed doors. And I just started writing it in the songs and then started talking about it eventually, you know, but, um, the more we, we communicate with one another about what's really going on and how you really feel, the happier and healthier you'll be. I've never been, I've never been happier even on my dark days, you know, because I've been able, I got that out of the way, you know, I've like people know my struggles and I've talked to people about it and share my story. And um, some people relate, some people don't, you know, there's guys in the band that don't relate with me at all. They don't relate with our own lyrics, 0%. And that's, you know? okay <laughs> that's great <laughs> yeah yeah so um yeah my i guess my advice is learning how to you know accept that it's okay to not be okay i guess you know perfectly said and i and i would add and this might be a conversation for another time even but one of the one of the takeaways from your story that i draw is something that i've been thinking about a lot lately as well is the idea the conflict between restorative justice and punitive justice punitive justice is wait you're doing this stuff you're out we're casting you away restorative justice is how can we understand what's going on how can we help if that's even what you need how can we you know and and that and that's on a personal lifestyle scale, but even broadening that out to, you know, our, our whole, our legal system and our whole attitude of crime and punishment. And especially when it comes to thought crimes, people believing the wrong things, saying the wrong things, being using the wrong language. At what point do we become restorative as opposed to punitive? You know, do we cast everyone out of society who said or did the wrong thing or do we teach and restore and, you know, Am I talking about murderers and rapists? And well, that's one extreme, but 
overall what I'm really talking about is is finding a way to heal and and learn from each other and and restore and build one another up when we when we stumble as opposed to punish and yeah. banish yeah and i i agree with that that's it's it's a great thing to kind of throw out there and end on but i i think about myself in those situations too is like even when sharing and 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 helping or teaching like i don't feel i don't feel the way that i viewed people that i was scared to talk to i guess like i think when you're in a situation where you think you do need healing and you do need understanding you're scared that the other person is going to look down on you because they they're they are teaching you and they are better than you at that point but they're not like i want to emphasize that a lot is like even when a kid comes up to me at a show, I'm like, man, I'm struggling. I'm addicted to this and I, I'm trying my hardest. I, in now and in a teaching standpoint, I guess, because I'm them, like I'm better now that I've gone through it and you're still not there yet, but you'll get there. Yeah. So I just think it's more of like understanding, less teaching, I guess, just like understanding, but like, yes, I have gone through it and I got out the other side and you can too but that does not make me better than you that you're still in it. And I think that's a real big misconception. And mm-hmm. that's where like the teach the word teaching gets really fucked for people that are in that scary situation. They're already scared to talk about it. They don't want to talk to some guy that feels like they're teaching them something like, you know, fuck all that. Cause that's probably why you were doing it in the first place. <laughs> totally. You know? And I, yeah. and I think, just sharing my experience uh, for anyone listening that might be in that situation that hasn't talked to someone about what they're going through yet. Like I swear I do not feel like I'm a teacher or I'm better than someone when I'm talking to them about an addiction that they're going through right now, I feel equal. I'm just like, yeah, I I've done that too. And, and I'm right now I'm okay. This role might reverse four years from now, I might see you at a show. I'm like, dude, I'm fuck. I've been on drugs for three years. I need help. And you're like, Hey, I got through it. You know, like yeah. it doesn't, it doesn't make one person better than the other. It's just human compassion and loving and understanding. And that's the open mind I was talking about earlier and just living open-mindedly and not, not looking at those people like you're better or worse. And that's the, that is like the most beautiful thing that I got out of growing up period and and being where I am right now is like I talk to kids all the time after shows and most of them are addicts or depressed you know had suicidal attempts or thoughts and uh and I'm not like oh because I'm not doing that right now I'm better than you I I really feel like I feel compassion and equal and like to just it's more about sharing that you're not alone and a lot of those things, like I like suicide to me is a mistake, a split second mistake. We all think about it. We've all almost done it and you made the right choice, but you can make a mistake. You can accident, you know, that thought that I'm like, I am going to pull the trigger. Or I am going to jump or whatever. Like that's a mistake. And I, and I'm not being, you know, unsensitive to people that have lost someone to suicide, but I think I, I do believe it's a mistake that anyone would probably take back. Um, and I, and I, or at least I hope, and and I think we're all capable of that. And, and, and the people that are scared to talk about it to people that have lived 
through it and, you know, shared their stories like me and other singers and bands that have spoken about these things or lived through these things as, as we're not saying that we're better because we've come out the other side is, but it's more like we're in it together. And the more we talk about it, the less likely chance you're going to make a mistake. Um, it's like when the Hulk discovers Thor and new Asgard and Avengers Endgame and says, you know, who helped me out when I was going through a hard time, you did Thor. <laughs> that's yeah. that's, just, that's how the relationship should be you know? yeah yeah it's mutual and it, give and take yeah mu- feeling equal to people around you whether you're standing on the stage or in the crowd is something that we should all be doing in the pulpit or in the pews you hear that yeah, <laughs> cool, yeah the, totally you know like everyone's in it together hopefully that's how most people feel Unfortunately, I don't think that everyone feels that way, but that's what what we're trying to do. And well, on the days when I think the glass is half full, I think it's just that the people who don't feel that way are the loudest about it. And yeah. uh, maybe unbeknownst to themselves, what they're looking for in that loud discontent is some kind of harmony and some kind of place of belonging, even if their belonging is in a negative way. group of yeah. hate mongers. Yeah. Um, well, Spencer, I have greatly loved hanging out with you so much this week yeah man this is awesome and thanks for doing this you were uh i I, I, i'm like 20 something episodes deep so i feel like i've said this a lot but it's been true every time you were one of my wish list people when i came up with this i mean even honestly it might have i think it was before the band got back together even i think it was still a sleep sleep wave era when i came up with this idea and i definitely sketched you in the notepad as somebody yeah. i wanted to have on i know we had talked about it before um yeah i think we were texting about it literally like a couple of years ago so yeah i'm glad we uh, I'm glad, made it happen I'm glad we did too. Uh, and i'm glad it was now and not then because <laughs> you know so oh yeah every, like, things happen for a reason the the sleep wave conversation on that bandwagon was you know that was a weird time <laughs> <laughs> but and I, but i'm okay with it you know i think that's yeah. cool like a lot of that stuff is is you know all part of the journey and i and 100 I, I hope no one walked away from me like, oh that dude's fucked or that dude's lost it was like that that's just part of the journey right now you know it was just like there's different times we all go through ups and downs and mm-hmm. even the downs are important like. and by the way i didn't walk away from that night thinking that it honestly didn't occur to me until seeing you earlier this week how great you look right now is then when i realized how bad you looked then you know what i mean like at the time it didn't occur to me i was just like oh spencer and then i see how healthy and happative and happy and positive you you seem now and i'm like oh he wasn't like this before if that makes sense you know yeah there there were some there were some years you know that it got pretty dark but i you know that's that's just part of it you know without without those times i probably wouldn't be who i am now or definitely you, you definitely would not be and you would have made the art that you have made then and are continuing to create now it's all part of that that story yeah. i mean and, and there, i mean you know we could name a hundred examples of great art that's come from struggle and tragedy and darkness and that's where all the great stuff has come from honestly i can't imagine there's much art that i've related to in my life that came from any other place really so yeah 
It's all part of the journey. Awesome, man. Well, much love to you, your family, your, your lady, your pets. My lady and my, my two pets. And uh, yeah, hit me up anytime. Always around for you. I appreciate these chats quite a bit. Yeah, it's been great. Someday we'll get some good news about when we can all play music again and we'll actually run into each other in person. That, that would be nice. That would be extremely nice. Fantastic. I well, was thinking about it today. It's like this is, I don't mind. I told you this on the last time we talked, but I have it not. This is the longest I will go without getting on stage since I was probably 12 years old. That is wild. I've gone over a year. Um, I don't think I've ever gone a year without playing at least, you know, I was playing once a month as a kid at the bare minimum since age 12 on in a venue, if not more, like we started doing regional stuff and all that. Um, by the time I was like 14, but man, I'm thinking about when we go away and write a record and stuff like that. It's never a year without playing. There's always a festival or something. Some kind of fly in or some kind of, yeah. Yeah. Dude, this sucks. (laughs) This is bogus. Well, here's, here's my glass half full for you. <laughs> what a gift it's been to have been able to do that so much so far, but not doing it for this amount of time seems so insane. <laughs> there, there's, there's your glass half full. <laughs>